Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Something Quite New, the sport business podcast brought to you by leading sponsorship and communications agency, SQN. I'm Dan McLaren. And I'm Chris Hughes. We're here to bring you the latest news, views and opinions from that special place where sport and technology converge. We speak to leading figures from across the industry to share their expertise and best practice, while offering a few extra insights of our own. It's an ever-evolving space, but thankfully we have fingers firmly on the pulse. In this episode, we're looking at the rise of esports and the growing opportunities afforded to brands. It's an area that we know a fair deal about. That's right, indeed we do. In fact, I was recently fortunate enough to visit the McLaren Technology Centre to speak to Ben Payne, head of esports at McLaren. I found out about the McLaren Shadow Project, which last year attracted half a million competitors from around the world. Seriously big business. Well, gaming and motorsport are a natural fit. Simulators have long played a crucial role in car and driver development. Here at SQN, we've witnessed the rapid growth of esports firsthand in recent years. We worked with one of the Formula E teams participating in the debut e-race in Las Vegas in 2017, and we've also had the chance to speak to reigning F1 esports champion Brendan Lee, who's since been snapped up by Mercedes. It's made perfect sense for racing teams to develop their own series, with McLaren first off the line with the world's fastest gamer in 2017, and last year they took it to the next level with the morphing of the series into the McLaren Shadow Project. Details about Season 2 have just been revealed, piquing the interest of gamers around the world who are eager to compete for truly unique prizes and experiences. Let's get the lowdown from Ben Payne, who revealed all, well, almost all, to a McLaren of a different sort. Hi Ben, thank you very much for taking the time out, and it's amazing to be here down at McLaren HQ. Being in McLaren... I've been kind of desperate that I've been related to Bruce McLaren in some kind of way. But I think I'm not holding out too much hope on that. But it's lovely to actually come down for the first time. You're more than welcome. Now, can you give us a little bit of background on your kind of job title and how it kind of fits into what's going on here at McLaren? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the head of esports here at McLaren Racing. Um, I've been here for just over 18 months. And I'm responsible for all our esports operations within McLaren Racing. So if you think of McLaren Group across uh, McLaren Racing, McLaren Automotive, and then um, Applied Technologies, uh, I'm responsible for both the running of our esports program, McLaren Shadow Project, and also the management of our esports team that races under the same banner. You started just after it's the kind of esports program started in 2017 when it wasn't the Shadow Project then. It was the world's fastest gamer. Yep, that's right. What's the background? Why McLaren decided to get into it at that particular time? So um, McLaren, back in, uh, so I joined in November 2017, like you say. Um, in the spring of that year, McLaren launched um, World's Fastest Gamer. We were the first F1 team to enter esports, so, and I was the first employee at the time to work in the same space. Um, the reasons that Mc, uh, McLaren got into uh, esports uh, threefold, we have uh, the keenness for McLaren to be seen at the bleeding edge of all latest uh, technologies and industries. And esports is obviously a very, up, well, not up and coming, it, it's, it's arrived, right? Space. And so to be at the forefront of that and have a first mover advantage was, was key to us. Um, we also wanted to create stories and opportunities for engagement for our fans and fans across a whole host of demographics. Obviously, esports skews quite a little bit younger than a lot of our fans, but it is still uh, an active part of our fan base. So being able to give them ways to follow McLaren, a different way to follow McLaren was important. And then also it was obviously an opportunity for our partners to tell their stories in a different way to how they can through traditional F1. So how does it fit in with the McLaren group as a whole? Because obviously you've got the motorsport side of it, the automotive side of it, plus esports sitting in there. Where does it sit within that 
organization and how does everyone kind of plug into? Sure. So I work in racing. So we're all, what was McLaren Marketing is now part of McLaren Racing. So we all sit under Zach and, but we work as a project across the whole group. And by that group, I mean, obviously the three areas of McLaren Racing, McLaren Automotive and Applied Technologies, based on the fact that we use resources from all three of those teams in the way that we execute the program. So if you think about it, obviously operationally, strategically and tactically, it's executed out of our team here. Um, but we rely on McLaren Automotive based on the licensing work that they do of their portfolio of cars in a variety of different video games off, across all formats. We obviously then license our racing cars in a, a slightly different way. And so working really closely with automotive and showcasing their, their new cars, for example, the 600 LT was licensed uh, into Real Racing 3 last year, which was our mobile title. And we used that car in our qualifier. It was unlocked for that qualifier. And so that's a good exponent of us showcasing both sides of that half of the group. Um, we used the uh, technical know-how and human performance skill set to run the recruitment process of, of, of McLaren Project. So when we had our finalists here uh, trying to get that seat on the esports team and all the surrounding um, prizes, that was all driven by McLaren Applied Technologies, human performance, cognitive testing, physical testing, what have you. So while I sit in racing or our esports team sits in racing, um, we do touch every part of the business, which is good because there's, you know, more and more of our projects are cross group, but uh, Shadow is a good exponent of that. Do you find that conversation's moved on much in the last 18 months? Because I remember kind of having talks about esports and sport and gaming as well, which kind of some people don't see the difference between what esports is and what gaming is. Mm. Um, has that needle shifted much over those 18 months or are you still having the kind of being asked the same questions and having the same conversations? Uh, I'm still get asked the same conversations. It's dependent on the research that the person opposite you on the table has done into the space. And I think, um, but the conversation has moved forward at the same time. Do you still get asked what is esports? Uh, no, which is great. That's, that's something that we moved yeah. on from that. <laughs> and I think when you and I spoke last, I think I was very much of the opinion that, you know, I'm not a massive fan of the word esports. Having worked in gaming for 15 years, it's kind of the same thing, right? You know, we often talk about whether esports is, um, is a buzzword that allows people in a corporate structure to talk about gaming in a way that they can understand it. But competitive gaming has been around for nearly three decades, right? Which is what esports is. Whether you've been playing on um, arcade games, home consoles, PCs, mobile, whatever you want to play it. The conversation has shifted, though, as we talk through it, because we've got more evidence than we did a, uh, a year ago on how we're challenging the relationship between the virtual and the real. And we are not the first to have done it, you know, be it with World's Fastest Gamer or with Shadow Project, you know, things like GT Academy and, and another series have, have done that sort of blending the line between the virtual and the real. But, we, you know, we do have a unique space that we talk in in terms of sports esports compared to say a fifa or an nba but the conversation is is more about you know you always get asked about where is this going to end is the next lando norris going to come from someone with an alienware pc in their bedroom and zach and i have have always said that we think that that will happen and the time frame is dangerous you speak quite often about how it reduces the barriers to entry yeah because that whole carting side of it is expensive yeah and having to go through all these different um, formulas to get to Formula One, you can almost kind of democratise that first section of it and then kind of find the best from it. 
we use the word democratize a lot when we're describing how you can, you know, in a, another sort of gaming analogy, you can cheat the system, right? It's, you know, it's not a case of pressing up, up, down, left, left, A. But you could say that in years gone by, you know, spending five years on the karting circuit and ploughing in serious amounts of money, and you need only look at Rudy, our first esports champion, who did exactly that. And his dad turned around to him when he was 15, 16 and said, we can't do this anymore. And his dream died. And we then, you know, rejuvenated that dream with, with WFG and what he's done with us since. And he's proved to be a very good driver as well. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, funny enough, I spoke to him this morning, he's been in a sim thing in Holland this week, and he's, uh, he's in the UK this week uh, in another simulator. He, you know, he's raced really well on the track. He's beaten, you know, he's beaten Lando. He's beaten... Yeah, how did that go down internally? Uh, well, it was, um, it was a tricky weekend. <laughs> Race the champions in, in Riyadh in Saudi back in February 18, I want to say. Lando had come straight from Daytona where he'd been racing with Fernando. And um, Rudy was obviously cock-a-hoop that day because he beat Joel Erickson and he beat Timo Bernhard as well, who'd won the Race of Nations the day before, and Le Mans. And he beat Lando quite easily, but it was a bit, it was a NASCAR, I think, that they were racing in that round, and it's not a car. Lando was used to... The social team... Um, Is that the reasons he gave? Uh, Lando's pretty chill about it, if I'm being honest. Uh, Rudy was less chill about it. He was very excited, and rightly so. Our social teams have had those sorts of scenarios in the past. Thank God there wasn't Twitter during Prost Senna days, right? You'd imagine who gets the focus. <laughs> but I think one of the approaches that I like that you've taken, which is part of that, there's so many different areas that people don't know about within McLaren, or is, you know, it's not just, you have a lot of people who apply to come onto the game and then they come along and it's kind of, right, put them in some more gaming scenarios and you find the fastest person on a game. There's a lot more to it, as you mentioned before, that the human performance side, because the, the fitness, putting them actually in cars as yeah, well. Yeah, track day last year. Before they even get anywhere near actually kind of sitting in and having the final seven, say, yep. competing in the kind of the final and the grand final. It was a long old week back in January, but I feel like what we, I'm funny enough, I was having a conversation about this this morning. What excites me about it is that we've made it a much more data-driven exercise based on the fact that it isn't just your traditional, let's chuck them in a sled, see how they race on different games, whether that's iRacing, R-Factor, Forza, Motorsport, Project Cars or Real Racing. The fact that we were able to level up the, the human performance piece this year, and we've been blessed by the fact that McLaren Applied Technologies now have this young driver program, the DNA project, that can underpin that work, which we didn't have the previous year. So it allows us to, you know, there's that muscle in the system to, to, to run that through. But the data that came out of that drove a scoring system that allowed us to have a, leading, a leaderboard through the week that you then laid in the data from track day. Um, and that was obviously just a hot lap time. So that was data driven as well. And then obviously the racing is data driven because it's the, the order in which you cross the line. Adjudication, you know, obviously plays a part. Um, and then when we took from seven to three upstairs, first past the post. So where we were having a slightly more subjective approach with World's Fastest Gamer, which was still incredibly successful for us. And we think we picked the right guy. Rudy's been phenomenal for us. The fact that, you know, at our heart, you know, we're called McLaren Technology Group. Technology and data is at the heart of every decision we make in this building. It was great that the program also followed that sort of curve as opposed to, you know, having that point in the finger and go, it's you. Actually, the data showed us that Eagle was the best across most disciplines. And then he kept his nerve to cross the track first on the Thursday night. So, um, yeah, it's been supremely helpful. And was that quite key in the progressing the program? It wasn't just going to sit as being a, a gaming side of it. It's going to involve the rest of the group. And I imagine it's quite crucial if you're hosting the finals here as well, that the staff get involved. Yeah. And we, you know, you'd be amazed how many people in this building go sim racing 
or maybe you wouldn't. I, 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 one of the first things I did when I joined was I met a couple of guys or I think there was an internal memo about me joining and a couple of guys sent notes going, oh, but hey, by the way, I run a sim racing league in IT or I run a sim racing league in racing. And you got these guys together. We had a little coffee morning chat and they'd never met each other. So they'd met through the common bond of actually loving sim racing and sort of reaching out to me as someone who's coming into the business to try and drive that. So the passion within the business has been great. I remember we were doing some work with Lando and the esports guys last year, and we took over one of the meeting rooms, put a bunch of sleds in there and opened up some you know, snacks and drinks in there for the team. And it was rammed with people of varying degrees of skill in the sim racing space, but there were smiles from left to right as you went across the room. I'm always enthused, Leaston and I, who, you know, who work on it day to day, are always enthused by the passion of others to help us keep evolving. And I think, you know, to answer your question in a slightly different way as well, it will continue to evolve. Our objectives are set not just by ourselves, but by our fans and our partners. And speaking to a Logitech G or an Alienware or reading the chat in a YouTube video stream will guide what we do in, you know, years two, three, four, five. So as we forecast out to 2023, you know, what geos do we focus on? What, what titles do we use? Um, what ways can we move forward in the spaces of VR, AR? How can we use um, human performance and data tracking of, you know, the, the athletes? We worked with Huami last year with the wearables being worn by the guys all week, for example, which allowed us to overlay their heart rate as they were racing in those finals. I've not seen that in anything Counter-Strike or, or Overwatch or anything like that. <clears throat> so that was, again, us just sort of test and learn, test and learn, being agile, being able to take risks and, and change on the fly. If things maybe didn't pan out in a stream, we can quickly change that. That's the joy of esports is it can be very nimble. Um, so, yes, we are evolving, but I think we've stopped the revolutions now. We're just evolving the, the product year on year. You mentioned there about involving the partners, which you've got some who've got very obvious overlays into the esports side. How do you work with them? Do you, is this kind of part of what they sponsor McLaren anyway? Is it part of a kind of bigger thing or is it, are they just involved on the esports side? Um, it's a mixture of both. Uh, our, our PD teams and our, our sort of partner activation teams work across racing and, and esports. Uh, a number of the brands come out of existing racing relationships, um, but some have come from conversations that started in esports as well. You know, it's a different cell. And you, you'll notice from the, the roster of brands that we work with that they're all endemic naturally into a sort of technology and, and gaming space, specifically with Logitech, uh, Alienware and HTC being very gaming focused and Sparco making gaming equipment now, right? Be it uh, their seats or the gaming chairs are used by other brands such as FIFA, you know, EA use them for FIFA tournaments as well. But I think um, we work with them like you would with any partner, right? Regular, transparent conversations, reporting, roundtables, strategy sessions. I speak to Logitech as much as I speak to my wife. Actually, Logitech are quite heavily involved because they sponsor like the qualifiers for yeah, they do in Europe, own, don't they? Yeah, they do their Well, wider than that now, actually. So they do um, the Logitech G Challenge uh, is a program that ran in three geos in 2018. So they did uh, Latin America, which is where Eagle came from, who ended up being our winner. Uh, then they had Christian came out of Europe. Uh, he won the race off at Paris Games Week. And then they ran something in Asia Pacific as well, where Cho came from for semifinals. And um, yeah, we see it as a sort of feeder program into shadow, but you know, Logitech are, 
a massive gaming peripheral company and, and work with some of the best esports teams on the planet. When you think about their associations with Cloud9 and, uh, and others, they work with Fernando's FA Racing esports team. You as mix well. with those as well? Well, we are um, going to be racing with uh, against Fernando's esports team at Indy 500 later this month, which is exciting. So we're doing a sort of exhibition race out there um, on the Saturday, the 25th of May. Obviously, we have a good affiliation with Fernando, as you can imagine. So that's a really nice showcase. And Logitech's the glue that kind of sticks those two teams together. So they've helped bring that execution together. So, yeah, we work very closely with Logitech. They were here at the beginning. And so we are very candid with the way we work with them because we see it as you know being a partnership. And with HTC, do they use it as kind of a testing ground as well? Well, we were really blessed with HTC um, because I remember when they came in just after I joined um, and we were talking about this licensed product, which came out back end of last year. So there was a McLaren edition of the Vive Pro, which had exclusive content and some um, aesthetic changes with Papaya and, and what have you. And it looked great and we used it in finals. I mean, they are massively involved in games and, you know, I've worked in VR and mixed reality as well when, in my time at Microsoft. And... It's obviously such a key space and something that is entering the living room in a much less intimidating way with the technologies and you don't need to drill so much stuff in walls as you did two, three years ago, which was obviously a barrier to people. And the killer apps are becoming more commonplace so that you will justify going and spending 600 quid on a headset. Um, HTC want to show those killer apps wherever possible. And I think what we did where we allowed ourselves to go sim racing in VR with multiple drivers the viewer just had a non-VR feed on YouTube that looked fantastic. And as the guys were looking around, you can see look around the cockpit and out the side window and what have you. That looks great, where sometimes you see a VR feed in 2D and you're just like, well, hold on a second, what's going on over here? You know, for our partners, it's about telling stories using their hardware in a way that doesn't feel forced. And we don't have any issue with that, no matter how many times we, we do that with content. The joy of, of this, as you and I have discussed before, is we have these peripherals that we need to go sim racing that you don't have if you play basketball or football. And that is therefore such an intrinsic part of the way we go and do what we do that, you know, showcasing Alienware, Logitech or HTC is very easy. So you don't have to force any of that through. And Huami was, again, very easy to embed into the program. You look at Sparco, obviously the guys were race, wearing their race suits and sat in their sleds. And then OnePlus were our mobile partner, <clears throat> excuse me, and we obviously had, a, again, a, a product with them for the, the OnePlus 6, I think, in December, which is an amazing phone. And, um, and I mean, the camera on that phone is just killer on as, as a side point. Um, and we were using that for real racing as well on the mobile side. So everything was came quite naturally, whereas I've worked in partnerships before at previous companies where you really have to brainstorm that stuff, right, to try and get yeah, it the, right. Those ones you mentioned are all quite endemic. Yeah. You know, they're not purely gaming, but they have natural crossover. Yeah. How do you work, if you had someone that came in and who was completely non-endemic, how would someone like that get into esports, do you think? Because we see now with, you know, straight sponsorships of teams is becoming more common with your Pepsis. And yeah. How would you, how theoretically would you work with someone and what are the opportunities for some, I someone like that? I think you've seen, associate, you know, we, we work with Coke, right? Coke on the car and, um, you know, Coke have quite a long heritage of working in gaming from whether that's sponsoring Paris Games Week back in the day when I used to go uh, pretty regularly every year or um, more specifically with certain athletes and what have you. It's just about making sure that there's a, a, a hook there uh, you know, nine times out of ten, it isn't just putting a logo on a jersey. Like, you know, you look at the Dr. Pepper deal with TCM and, and others, Red Bull with Cloud9. You know, Red Bull do an awful lot in esports as a space anyway with athlete sponsorship and team sponsorship. It's just making sure that you're telling the right story as opposed to just, and also agreeing what the ROI and KPIs will be ahead of time. 
the non-endemic thing isn't as complicated as people think it is. We are lucky to have a number of endemic brands who help us with hardware and, and, and qualifiers, as we've discussed. But, you know, we, are, we have a number of uh, non-endemic conversation slates that are, are happening right now. And again, none of them are feeling hard to deliver on. You need only look at the brands who now invest in esports, whether that's Visa or Pepsi is a good example. Monster are working there. Red Bull have been in the space for a long time. That will only continue. I mean, Nike are now sponsoring athletes, right, in esports. So, yeah, I, I don't see it being as hard to make that connection as sometimes people sometimes perceive it. Another side I'm quite curious to find out more about is that kind of creating content and connecting with fans mm. who I imagine part of it is how do you convert what with Formula One is quite a older generation who are kind of going to be your hardcore fans with gaming fans who are going to be a lot younger. And you've gone from, I think it was 30 odd thousand entrants for um, World's Fastest Gamer to half a million. I'm assuming that you don't just kind of go, thank you very much, goodbye see you another time, maybe try and enter next year. I imagine you try and keep those people engaged. Yeah, and we are um, lucky enough to work with some amazing gaming partners, whether that's EA with Real Racing 3 or Forza Motorsport with Xbox, Microsoft, where, you know, they give us participant data out of um, that 500,000 plus entrance for uh, 2018. And yes, we're going back to that same well in 2019 when we launched season two in a couple of weeks. And they will therefore mobilize their audience you know we were lucky to increase exponentially quite aggressively last year and that comes a lot of that comes through mobile we've been transparent about that you know real racing 3 has 400 million downloads globally a million people a day are playing that game you know you can get the bums on seats right and but we have aggressive targets for the other qualifier uh, formats this year i think it's easy to engage with the program you just need a mobile phone or a pc or a console and, and just do a lap you know most of it is time trial based and it is allowing audiences young and old to engage with the program and we are while we're proud that our sweet spot for engagement with content and entry is 18 to 24 and in 2017 it was 24 to 35 so we're moving the right way um, of making sure that a younger demographic is involved we're also not disregarding that 24 to 35 or beyond you know the average age of an Alienware customer is 31. When I worked at Xbox, you know that you know that a lot of customers are older than you think because they have disposable income to purchase the equipment and, and become gamers or whales, as they're sometimes referred to, um, once they're buying in-game content. So it's about appealing to all the different sort of demographics that we have. The veneer with which we have the brand for for shadows, looking very dynamic and young and uh, and esports oriented, you know, very proud of that mark and and the feedback we've had has been fantastic. But we also aren't keen to alienate anybody within that as well. So whether they're watching a stream or participating, and again, that's a dynamic. We are keen to make sure that they might not want to win or they might not have the confidence in their capacity to win, but they they do enjoy watching it because it's a level playing field. And whether that's our program in shadow or whether it's us going racing as McLaren in the F1 eSports series, for example, that's 20 level cars on a playing field. That's not the same as Formula One in reality, right? So actually, it's a lot more engaging content to see McLarens and Force Indias and whatever sort of whizzing around the virtual track. Um, so whether you're a participant or a spectator, there is a way for you to enjoy and engage with the program. And, and we're making big movements this year on how we satisfy that content appetite from uh, 2018 where, you know, we, I'm not saying we had a bit of a drop off as such, but 
there was a lot of a crescendo towards the end with semi-finals and finals, but we launched in July, right? So we need to make sure that there's that always on content and a hub for our fans to go and engage and consume content the whole time. So you'll see a lot more content from us in 2019 and beyond. And how do you then take those people and hopefully turn them into F1 fans at some stage? You know, following the McLaren team, buying some merchandise, going to the track, maybe even kind of buy a car at a future future time if they get to that level well we're blessed to have someone in Lando Norris who has crossed the divide right and is an avid gamer I've seen Lando in airport lounges playing PUBG and <clears throat> I've seen I know that from his Twitch streams and his YouTube channel that he is you know sim racing as much as he's racing so to have one of the drivers for the F1 team being such an avid gamer and you know I'm seeing him on Saturday as we we sort of talk about Shadow in Barcelona that helps us a lot right because he is a part of a, a new sort of tribe of F1 drivers who will bring a younger audience with them. Um, and then on the automotive side, it justifies McLaren Automotive's licensing program of licensing cars to games like the Senna into Forza Horizon 4 uh, or the EA example with the 600LT we used earlier. You know, one of the uh, content creators that we work with has a 720S, right? You know, and he's 27. So there's a very wide range of uh, customers on the automotive side and you don't know what kid is going to stick an, a, games, a games disc in his or her PlayStation and you don't know where they're going to be in four years and what they're going to be sticking a car key in, right? So um, it's all about that brand affinity and that lust to be part of the aspirational brand of McLaren, whether it's in racing or automotive. As we get towards, I want to move on to the future. You mentioned that you kind of got your five-year plan almost in place which will probably change as technology changes and trends changes, but you'll have an idea of where you're going to go. What can you say about kind of where you would like to see this in five years' time at the moment? Um, what can I say on the record versus what, what I can do? let you tell you. <laughs> <laughs> we are striving to be the most open and diverse racing esports programme we can be. We have solved that, uh, and we are that in a number of ways. The fact that around the world you're able to en enter the programme, um, we still have some challenges from a diversity perspective via gender um, and, and we'd like to really try and crack that in the next sort of 12 to 18 months and we have conversations going with partners and internally as to how we can best solve that angle. We've seen the great success of the W Series on the track, for example, and you know we have McLaren alumni who are part of that programme and, and so we're watching that with great intent. Um, we've also you know had that diversity discussion about age and Esports being seen as a, a young person's game, and yet Lasse, who was one of our semi-finalists, was 56. I think he had kids younger than most of the uh, kids older, sorry, than most of the other semi-finalists. So I want to really keep diversifying and making sure that people have the opportunity to engage in the program more and more. I want to be able, and we want to be able to create more local stories. This is a very English-speaking program as it stands at the moment, um, but we have opportunities and partners based in other parts of the world where we need to we need to tell uh, the story in a local tone and, and language, whether that's China or um, other parts of the world. So that is uh, a key driver for us. Uh, we'd like to have obviously more partners on board, and that's a, a plan we have in play uh, moving forward. And I'd like us to try and just push the envelope regarding how big this audience can be. You know, based on the fact that we have a unique racing uh, solution for eSports compared to a FIFA or uh, an NBA, which is still very controller-based, so you have that storytelling cut-off compared to us in the sleds. As you talk about um, eSports becoming an Olympic sport 
or being, you know, tested at Asian that Games. That's cooled off a little bit for Paris now. Well, depends who you talk to, right? And, you know, we've been talking to some folks about various bits and bobs that are going on. I think we're well set. You know, we speak very closely with F1 about uh, that as well. Um, it makes for great content and the you know, one of the things that people are surprised by when they meet our esports team is how fit they are, you know, because they still have that stigma of gamers being <coughs> unfit, and which is, is not the case in many esports. But certainly when they're sat in a slit, you know, Enzo and Bono, for example, raced Sebring 12 hours last month in the 720 SGT3, <coughs> came second in class, which we were really pleased with. But they're in the car for six hours, right? And if you're going that pace for that long, just like you would on the track, that's going to be a very sort of demanding uh, activity of your body. So they're in good nick and that helps those conversations. And the other thing I'd like to make sure we continue to do when we, as we move forward, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is push the conversation in terms of human performance as well. That is a real differentiator that we have versus our peers. Although, you know, we're wholly transparent with all the other sort of um, esports racing stuff that's out there. But what else can we do in that space? We've shown you heart rate. We've shown you their physical conditioning. We've got them on the track. What else can we do in that space? You know, we have partners in other parts of the business who could help us with sentiment or when we did Wasas's Gamer, I remember, you know, because I joined as the programme was sort of finishing up, being shown the data of you could see how people were racing, were they happy or sad and how that affected their times. And there's a lot of stories that are untold. Measure brain activity. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think there's an awful lot of, of leg room there as well. And on that future, I'm interested, I don't know if conversations even started because McLaren isn't just involved with F1 now. There's pro cycling and there's NASCAR, which are other areas with partners that you're kind of getting involved with. Is there then potential because NASCAR and esports is has started as well? Pro cycling is definitely looking at that. Is that a side that then McLaren could build into beyond F1? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like. We're all off into Indianapolis, right, later this month for Indy 500, and, and we're doing a, a, a pop-up there, which would be great. Um, you know, this weekend at the Giro d'Italia, Bahrain Meridia is racing in an esports trial there. We'll be one of uh, a few teams taking part in that. And there are conversations in that space with the likes of Zwift and what have you. So that's encouraging. So, you know, who knows? It's annoying to say who knows what the future holds, but... <clears throat> let's say it's safe to say we've got our ducks in a row to be able to activate very quickly outside of the traditional F1 heartland. Final question. If you give me kind of three tips for brands that want to get involved in esports, whether that's motorsport or traditional esports, which is a weird thing to say, <laughs> <laughs> what, what would your top three tips be? Um, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday and one of the things that we were agreeing on was that it's about making sure you have all the data at your disposal before you make a decision of where you're going to jump in with and who and who with. There's a lot of data and reports out there and a number of players on the sort of insights perspective. But a lot of that data isn't necessarily applicable to how you as a company would enter the space. Um, and so people making a decision based on data that's based on another geography or another sector, that's not data that's going to help you make that decision for you. And so trying to get that information, that insight is paramount. The other two tips would be to ask, and, and you know, I was thinking about this this morning, is ask as much as you can from the partner you're looking into in the space, whether that's a, a team like us or whether that's a right owner and what have you. We will divulge some information and there might be some that we don't and there'll be reasons for that. But if the right question is asked, then you'll get the information you need. 
and also don't go in with any preconceptions obviously as a brand you'll have your objectives of what you want to get out of there uh, out of that uh, partnership and, and the KPIs and what success looks like the sort of ROI figure esports is is still not getting necessarily the ROI that certain brands uh, are thinking of so walk before you can run don't overstretch have challenging KPIs don't get me wrong but just build gradually because otherwise you'll be another sort of dead fish in the water and you have to start again and and that is expensive and you don't want to do that Ben always a pleasure talking to you thanks thank you very much cheers A huge amount to take in and take away from that interview. Thanks to Ben and our own McLaren, Dan, for the insight, reinforcing just what an attractive proposition esports is for brands right now. It was a great experience being at the MTC, that's for sure. If you want to find out more about SQN or would like to talk to us about how esports might fit into your plans, visit us at www.sqn.agency. We're on LinkedIn or just drop me a line, chris.hughes at sqn.agency. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with another special interview, this time tying our podcast into a brand new report being released on the future of technology and sport. Intrigued? So are we. So don't forget to subscribe, and if possible, do leave us a rating or review. They're massively appreciated. Bye!